Good evening. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Old Town. Hey, you know, I'm actually pretty stoked because we ha- our attendance is actually growing. I this, last year this was our lowest attendance night Father's Day. I think dads are like, what do you want to do for church? What do you want to do on Sunday? They, I want to sit at home and do nothing. <laughs> That's, a, but uh, so it's good to be here. You know, I was uh, I was thinking like maybe someday I could actually get one of those number one dad mugs. Has anybody ever got one of those? No, you haven't? I just would love to get that rather than my actual ranking from my kids, you know. <laughs> no? no? Nobody's there? Okay. Uh, Dave Barry actually quoted this about Father's Day. He said, I've never been totally sold on the concept of Father's Day. For one thing, it was officially declared a national holiday by Richard Nixon, so it might not even be legal. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, no, we're not there tonight. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I do want to say something. Proverbs seventeen six. I just want to read this to you, dads. Proverbs seventeen six. Or sorry, um, seven, yeah, there we go. I was in Psalms. Proverbs seventeen six says, "The glory of children is, and the glory of children is their fathers." And I was thinking about this passage today. The glory of children is their fathers, and uh, you know. Glory is that splendor, that confidence, that, that uh, the thing that we can be proud of. Uh, and of course, when we, when we think about glory, we think about, you know, uh, sports glory, winning, or we think about a king or something like that. But, but here in Proverbs, it says the glory of children is their fathers. And dads, I want to encourage you. You are the ones who are going to give your children's confidence. You are the ones who your children are going to say, yeah, that's my dad, and I'm proud of him. And, 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 and they're going to know they have your acceptance. So I want to encourage you dads, make sure you tell your kids you're proud of them. Make sure you encourage them and, um, so, that, so that you can be their glory as they, as they move through life. So it's a wonderful blessing to be a dad, and uh, I'm thankful for it. And I'm, I'm sure all you are. And thank you, dads, for being around and, and being good dads. So... Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray for mercy, dear God. Lord, we just ask for you to, to uh, protect our country, Lord. We pray that our hearts would be turned towards you, Lord. And, Lord, we would turn from our sin. We would turn towards you. But, Lord, we do ask for you to, to uh, continue to allow us to have that grace to share your gospel, Lord, and for that peace. And, Lord, we just want to especially lift up the families of those who have lost loved ones this last week. Um, or, yeah, last week in Florida, last Sunday. We just pray, dear God, for your comfort. And we pray, Lord, that uh, these families would know that you love them, Lord, and you've offered yourself for them. And uh, if they cry out to you, Lord, you will be found. So we do pray for your mercy, and we pray for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was uh, asked something, that I'm going to just go off on a little side note here because I think it's important. I was asked uh, something this week that was a little bit troublesome to me, but I decided I should briefly share about it with you. And, and of course, we have a small group tonight, but you can share about it with whoever you want. And uh, maybe you've even been asked something similar this week. <clears throat> and it was asked of me by a person who's a, a, a believer and they love the Lord, but it was troubling what they asked. And I think a part of the, the reason for the question was they don't know how to deal with evil in this world. They don't know how to respond when evil happens in this world. But the question to me was, do you think that this thing in Florida was actually a, an act of God's judgment 
upon these people. And I'm going to tell you right now, no, I do not think so. And here's why I don't think so. Uh, you know, yeah, we could say, oh, it's a gay bar. You know, these people are doing evil. But listen, if you go to any bar, you're going to find people doing evil. Whether it's homosexual bar or just a, ra- a other bar. You're going to find people doing things that are ungodly and evil. So, so why God would partic- particularly pick this one, yeah, that eludes me. Second, though, God does not do evil. And I want to make sure we're all clear on that. God is holy and he is good. In fact, he is absolute goodness. So for someone to come in and do what is evil and go and murder, that is not good. And Christians, we should never call that good. We should recognize. In fact, as Christians, we're supposed to have a spiritual discernment. We're supposed to be able to discern good and evil, right and wrong. And when we see someone going in and murdering people, that is evil. And we should be able to call it what it is. So I want to encourage you, just if you hear something like that, and of course I didn't, I didn't lay into the guy or anything like that. I just helped educate him. I think, like I said, I don't think he really understood how to deal with this or talk about it. But I, I'll, I'll never forget Hurricane Katrina when we went, we went and helped out Hurricane Katrina. And people would ask me, well, don't you think it was God's judgment on New Orleans? I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How come God hasn't judged Las Vegas yet? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or L.A. or wherever else you, you, you want to you pick out. Um, no, I, I don't think it's necessarily that. We live in an age of that there is evil in this world because of man's sin. But we're also in this age of grace in God's kingdom where we have the opportunity to shed love, light, and grace into people's lives. So I think when we see something like Orlando, Florida happen, or San Bernardino, or anywhere else, it's an opportunity for us as Christians to, to enter into people's lives in a way that is loving and gracious and kind, and that can share the gospel. So that's my personal opinion, and I think it's a biblical opinion, and if, if, uh, if you're not sure about that, let's talk about it afterwards, but, um, uh, you know, just please pray for those. In fact, Jesus gave us a a pretty strong mandate about praying for our enemies, right? Praying for those who persecute you. Uh, love your enemies. So even if you think someone's an enemy, we don't have that right to go and act out against them as believers in Christ. So uh, I just want to get that. All right, Genesis 1. Let me uh, go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get into the Word tonight. And hopefully we'll finish Genesis 1. All right, here we go. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time, and we thank you for your Word. We, Lord, we pray that you teach us now. Meet us here, God. Help us to understand your word and to apply it. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen. Genesis 1, we left off with day 3. We finished up day 3. and We talked about the the creation of the the land and vegetation. Now, I want to make sure we understand where we're going with Genesis. Because this is going to be important to how we see the whole Bible. And, of course, how you see your purpose in life. Because uh, I think if you get Genesis 1 right... You're on a good start to understanding your own purpose in the kingdom of God. Um, So we saw that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and we see that after he created the heavens and the earth, we see that God is continually making things habitable, things that are prohibiting for life, and not just any life, but life for mankind. 
life for man. That's where we're going with this. In fact, we're going to see that when God finishes the creation, when he, he finishes the creation with its pinnacle, which is man. Now, I'm not saying that to say that man is above God or man is, man is this great thing and we should invest in ourselves. But I think it's important that we recognize that God's end goal in the creation was you and me. That's where he was getting to. And, and we'll get into that when we talk about the sixth day. But that's a really important thing to understand. And it also keeps our thinking right when we look at nature and protecting our world and humans and where we all fit in together. So let's uh, go ahead and get, get right into it with day number four, starting at uh, verse 14, Genesis 1, 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night. And separate light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. So on the fourth day, we have God hanging the stars, or, or putting the stars, and we have the sun and the moon happening on the fourth day. Now, this is kind of an interesting question, and it's hard for us to understand, well, wait a minute, how can on the third day we have vegetation appearing, because vegetation needs sunlight and photosynthesis and wait a minute how is this actually working and as I said before some some people look at Genesis 1 and think okay well you know maybe it's just that because this is kind of from man's perspective looking upward maybe this is really just that the sun and everything was already there it was created with the heavens and the earth when all that was created but it wasn't until you could actually see what was happening you could actually see the stars and the sun that's one possible idea but there's also the, the possibility that God just purposely waited to create the sun and, and, and to light, light it all up or whatever it would take to do this on the fourth day, that he purposely waited to do it. And like I said, when we get to Revelation, we'll see that there's a time at which there is no more sun. There's a time in which the sky is rolled up like a scroll. So I don't think it's certainly not impossible for the one who speaks everything into existence by the word of his mouth he creates to wait for the fourth day to create the sun. That God could actually sustain life without the, the way that we currently are seeing it and how it works. So I, I don't know about that, but, but let's look at the purposes here. And I think this is really important. In, in ancient civilizations, when we look at stars and suns, the sun and the moon, what we find in ancient civilizations, Babylonian civilization, Egyptian civilization, is that these things are actually worshipped. These things are gods. And is, it, it's no surprise to me that God says, no, 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 I'm not going to contend with a created star or the sun or the moon which reflects the sun's light. I'm not going to contend with any of that for my glory. I'm going to create it on the fourth day. I'm going to create it after. <laughs> I'm going to put that on pause. Because when you read the, the lore and the, the mythology of, of these ancient civilizations, what you see is that these are, these are the gods. 
These gods created these things, and, and, and life is all about worshiping these gods and, and serving these gods, the sun, the moon, the, the rest of the stars, and, of course, even in Greek mythology and, and then, of course, the Roman pantheon, you, you have all these gods named after the planets. God is not going to share, share his glory with them. But notice also that on this day, on the fourth day, he says that there are specific purposes for these things. And look at what the purposes are for. One, the first purpose is that there's a separation of day from night. Day from night is the first separation and the first need that God wants to make sure that, hey, this is what these lights are for, to separate day and night. The second separation, or the second cause or purpose of this, is for signs for the seasons and for days and years. God actually not only created time, but then he gives us a sense of time and purpose through the seasons. He sets them in motion. I want you to think about that for a minute. Again, like I said before, where creation is going, it's all going to man, the creation of man. That's what God is creating too. It's going to be the pinnacle of his creation. And here he creates the lights for us to serve our purpose. Certainly the animals don't care about the seasons. I've never seen my dog going, oh, man, it's already getting to fall. Well, of course, he, my dog, she lives in California, and, of course, we only have summer in the other season. But my dog doesn't care about the time of year. She, she has no concern for the time of year it is. In fact, I, I've noticed that the dogs, when it's unusually hot during the winter, they'll still shed a bunch of fur, and then when it gets to a cold spell, they'll grow some more fur. Dogs don't really care or, or respond to seasons, but we do. We recognize seasons. We keep track of time and years. And God has given us these gifts in the heavens for us to process time and, and watch it and keep track of it. Notice the other purpose there. He, it says, and, uh, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. That's the next purpose for, for the sun, to give light to us. Lucy comes up to me this week and I was working, uh, I, I was installing a dishwasher at home and super fun job. And uh, <laughs> man, I'll tell you, anybody ever installed a dishwasher? It's the best. <laughs> anyway, Lucy comes up and I thought she was going to ask me, Lucy's been on this thing about she wants her own tools and wants to work with dad and stuff. And, but she comes up to me and says, dad, I don't understand it. Or daddy, I don't understand it. When I look at the sun, it hurts my eyes. I'm like, oh, you're a genius. I love you. <laughs> and I said, well, honey, if you look at the sun, it's going to make you go blind. And then Lucy said, well, what's being blind? I'm like, well, not being able to see anything ever. You wouldn't be able to see your daddy or your sisters or your mommy. And as soon as I said, or your mommy, Lucy's like, okay, I'm not going to look at the sun anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I see how it is. By the way, Laura's always going to get the number one mom cup. So, <laughs> but... Uh, God has given us the sun for light. And, of course, we've learned how much more things come from the sun. Places that don't have that sunlight, that have constant cloud cover, you know, they have to get artificial sun. They lack vitamin D. I mean, you, you have all these wonderful things that come about as the sun. But notice this, that God, by the way, in Hebrew, there's a word for sun and there's a word for moon. But here in the creation account, the author of Genesis, I think, specifically leaves out the words sun and moon so that we would not confuse this with any pagan mythology 
or any account of the sun god or the moon god. And, and he simply refers to him as a greater light and a lesser light. Just so you and I would understand that there's a purpose for these things in God's creation and order and nothing more. It is not to be worshipped. It is not to make of, of a higher standard or authority than, we, than what it is. And that's to give light. And as we, as we receive that sunlight, as we come out on that morning, of course, today we're not, we're not stoked on the sun, are we? We're like, ugh, it's so hot. It's oppressive, Lord. No. But when we come out and the sun is shining, we're just like, Lord, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for the heat of the sun. Thank you for the warmth and that light. Can you imagine no sunlight? What de- how depressing that would be. You know, you read about these, that uh, northern area of Alaska and North Canada, that those upper reaches where they don't receive any sunlight for, for like 30 days. And then, and then, of course, they, they go to limited sunlight. And, I, man, I just couldn't imagine living in that kind of environment where you're without the sun. I know it's possible, but I can't help but think that how depressing that would be. So God wants to make sure that we understand the purpose. And I, that's why I think the author of Hebrews is very purposeful here in saying that the lesser light and the greater light. And, of course, we know that, that the moon isn't really giving its own light. It's not its own light bearer. It's reflecting the light of the sun. But, of course, the ancient cultures aren't going to pick up on that. And, and for all purposes, when we look at the moon, it, it gives light. So if you've ever been out in the desert on a full moon night, you're just like, this is amazing. I can see everything. We, uh, we often go out with the youth group to the desert, and we play a game out there. It's, um, it's kind of like a capture the flag type game, but you're hiding and stuff. And uh, we, get, we get, well, I get a little into it. I bring a ghillie suit and everything, you know, every advantage I can. And when kids wonder, like, how's that giant bush moving? It's me, you know, running around. But... But uh, this last year when we went out there, it happened to be a full moon night, and it made it really hard. It was really hard to hide and evade capture while, while you're, everything's out in the open. So you could almost see anything without lights. Uh, and the moon certainly gives us a lot of light at night as it reflects the sun. Let's go on. That was evening, and there was morning the first day. Oh, by the way, look at verse 18 real fast. The end of verse 18, it says, And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. When God sees that it is good, I think there's two, two parts of that. One, it's exactly how he wants it. And two, it's going to allow for man to have life on this planet. Okay. There, there's two things there. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Fifth day we get birds and we get fish or, or sea creatures and sea life. And it is incredible. When you look at a bird and you look at a fish, do you see the similarities between the two? I hope not. They're, they're not similar at all. God puts forth this, this wonderful fish. And, and, I mean, when you look at the fish, I mean, sometimes when fish get pulled out of the water, you're like, oh, my goodness, that's terrifying, whatever that is. You know, some fish look absolutely terrifying. Other fish look gorgeous and beautiful. You know, if you've ever been snorkeling, Laura and I went to... Um, 
uh, we got to go to the Mayan Riviera one time, and, and we went to this place where we went snorkeling, and it was just, I, I love snorkeling. Snorkeling is one of my favorite things to do when I get to do it, and it's just like, I could just be in the water all day long, swimming underwater. Well, I saw a giant bat ray, and I was like, oh, I'm going to try and catch it. And <laughs> turns out bat rays also have stingers. Uh, I didn't get stung, thankfully, but I had fun swimming after it. It was a lot of fun swimming after this thing and uh, trying to chase it around and seeing all the fish. I mean, we, we'd swim and there's these beautiful, colorful fishes and then these giant tuna. And it just, it just was incredible, the, the variety of sea life. And we were only in this one little place. Uh, we saw jellyfish and all sorts of things. It was incredible. But I've never mistaken a fish for a bird. Even a flying fish, I've never confused it for a bird. I can tell the difference. And here in the Genesis account, it says that God created it all, each to its kind. And you know what? The genetic, the DNA record backs this up. The DNA of each of, each of their kinds is so complex and so unique that, that it would take thousands of mutations for a fish to become a different kind of fish. It would take so many mutations, there's just not enough time, and we'd also be limiting it all to complete chance. Not just a roll of the die, but we're talking, we're talking uh, a die that's, that's 100-sided, if you will, actually greater than that. But in order for these mutations to happen, for one fish to come from, all fish to come from one fish, it would be, it's so complex. And I know on the outside, when we look at them, we say, oh yeah, maybe that could happen. But as, we, as science gets deeper and deeper into biology and we start seeing the, the molecules and we start studying genes and these things, there's no way they're related. It's a unique creation. And God bless them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was a blessing that God gave that he wanted them to fill up the earth. There was evening and morning the fifth day and God said, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Are we getting the message yet? You know, <clears throat> at the time that Genesis was written, Evolutionary theory hadn't even come about. <laughs> it wasn't even an issue. But clearly, Genesis leaves no room for that in the Christian worldview. Um, God wants the Christian to know. I mean, obviously, you can reject it. But, but even those who hold to a theistic evolution that God started it all, God doesn't leave any room for that because over and over, it's emphasized to its kind, to their kinds, each one according to its kind. And, and it, on and on it goes with kinds, making sure that we understand that God created each thing according to its kind, each animal. I, I, have you been to the zoo recently? I, I got to go recently with Claire on an overnight adventure with her school. It was like a roar and snort sort of thing. And uh, there was a baby giraffe that was born. But giraffes are weird animals. I don't know if you... you I, I, sometimes when you're at the zoo, you just kind of start staring at a particular animal and looking at it. And one of the things the zookeepers were, were sharing with the kids is, you know, 
Um, if you look at an animal and you see an oversized part or something that's bigger or thinner or smaller, it'll give you a clue as to, to what this animal eats or what it uses uh, for defenses or things like that. And, you, of course, you look at the giraffe and you're like, okay, it's got a huge neck. It's just a weird, odd-shaped animal. Do you, do you know that a, the neck and a head of a male giraffe weighs up to 550 pounds. It's huge. Like they, don't, they look big, but they don't look that big. But 550 pounds, and, and giraffes are actually pretty unique because their necks can go between six and eight feet long. And they have extremely high blood pressure because the, the amount of blood that needs to go up to the brain, their hearts are actually two feet wide, a giraffe. And the amount of blood that needs to go up to the brain to keep that animal from just passing out or falling over or being able to run is, is an extraordinary amount of blood that needs to circulate up that long neck through that brain and back down into that heart. It's an incredible design for this animal. But the weird thing about a giraffe is that when a giraffe puts its head down to drink water, its head doesn't blow up. Like that's kind of what I was waiting for at the zoo. Because it has this extremely high blood pressure, I'm like, okay, Claire, watch this. It's going to go, oh, it didn't happen. What? <laughs> if you and I had that blood pressure, every time we'd bend our head down, it would just go, bop. You know, we, we'd blow up. Not, not literally blow up, but we'd obviously, our brains would rupture and all that sort of stuff. They have specially built arteries to handle the pressure, but their heart does something incredible. Their blood pressure changes as soon as they go down to get a drink. Science doesn't really understand it, but they can't figure out how this animal could have mutated to have that designed in, or that element in it from, from another type of animal to this animal to have that kind of blood pressure built into it and all that. Well, I have a clue. I have, a, I have a, a, an idea. Maybe it was designed that way, not evolved that way. But giraffes are incredible animals. That their heads don't just blow up. And, and then when they lift up their head... They don't just pass out from all the blood just not being up there. I mean, can you imagine the lion coming up on a giraffe at the watering hole and the, the giraffe sits up and just goes, whoop, <laughs> catch, done, giraffe's over. But that doesn't happen because their heart rate adjusts and their blood pressure adjusts and they, or sorry, their heart rate stays the same, but their blood pressure adjusts and, and they don't have that problem. What a unique wonderful creation of God, these giraffes. Hopefully you'll, you'll spend some time next time you're at the zoo and just look at some of these animals and just go, wow, God, that is incredible. You know, Romans tells us that because of man's sin, man began to worship the creator, the created thing, rather than the creator. He exchanged the glory and the truth of God for images of created things rather than the creator. Listen, if you want to know your purpose, worship your God, your creator. Don't worship the created things. Now, in our culture today, we don't have very many idols. It's not very popular in Western culture. Of course, if you go to Eastern culture, there's idols everywhere. But these, even these idols are they're, they're like half man, half animal idols. Uh, you know, they have all these different animals, idols, whatnot. But we certainly erect idols of the creation, don't we? We start worshiping people. We, we start making life all about people or, or a person or an individual and, not for, and forgetting to worship our creator. Don't exchange the truth of God for his creation. Rather, recognize it's the creation's place within 
within, uh, in front of the creator, recognizing who the creator is. So God has created all the animals according to its kind. Now, Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. Wow, the way the psalmist sums up the creation account. That by the word of the Lord this was done. He spoke it all into beating and we should be standing in awe of him, in reverence of him, learning to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, what that means. But, but we should be looking in reverence to him as the creation because he commanded it. Going on on the sixth day, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So as we get into the creation of man, a couple of things I want to point out to you. First of all, when you look at the, 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 there's a few things that are subtle in this text, but it certainly sets man apart from the rest of the creation. The first contrast I want to point out to you is that in the earlier creation, we see let there be uh, is, is the term. Let there be uh, versus let us make in our image. The, the, the earlier parts of the creation are a little less personal than the creation of man. When it comes time for the creation of man, it gets much more personal in the command. Let us make man in our image. And of course, we alluded to that fact that that plurality there in our image is speaking of, it's a hint at the, the trinity, the, the plurality of the Godhead, uh, three persons and one being. Early there on the, in, in the creation account, we get this, this uh, part of it. And, and I'll tell you part of this too is that notice it says, um, in the image of God, he created him male and female. So it goes from the singular to the plural in reference to man. Male and female represent man. And I think there's just that hint that here in the creation, when it says, let us make man in our image, it shows there's a relationship happening in eternity past between the Godhead, between in, in the Trinity. But but that's the first subtlety is that it's a personal, much more personal account, uh, uh, command from God that he wants to make man in his image. The, the second part is that not only does God says make man in our image versus, uh, versus according to its kind. It says 
let us make man in our image, not let us make him according to their kind. There's a big difference there. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And certainly, although we are fallen and we are in sin, we, we can still see that we're created in the image of God. I, I made a, a quick little list here of, of areas that we've been created in the image of God, just to, for you to think about. Um, um, I gotta, there we go. First of all, there's moral aspects. You and I actually recognize right and wrong. That's something that the animal kingdom doesn't do. And you might say, well, no, no, my dog, when I correct it, it gets down and all. Well, not in the same way. Your dog doesn't think that it's actually sin, that it's done some moral wrong that it's culpable for. You and I have that issue. We, we recognize what sin is and right and wrong. And, and you could say, well, what about an unbeliever? An unbeliever doesn't say it's sin. They just, uh, no, no, even the unbelievers have a moral standard that they adhere to. Every unbeliever. It, it might be a little different, but they still have a standard that they'll be incensed about or offended by if someone breaks that standard according to them. So we have a, a, an idea of moral truth. In fact, we see this throughout societies, throughout the world. We see societies holding to certain moral values. And if you change societies, when a society goes against some of these moral values, the rest of the world wants to hold them accountable to it. For instance, Nazi Germany. We felt that we were morally right in trying the Nazis for their crimes, right? Because they had done wrong against humanity. And, and the whole world knows that that's, that's right. So we have this moral standard that God has put into our hearts. Of course, there's a spiritual aspect to us. We, we not only have physical bodies, but we also have this immaterial aspect to us that we, that we recognize. And, and, and a part of the way this manifests itself is in our thoughts and our thought processes. We have thoughts about our thoughts. Have you ever recognized that? That you and I actually have these... We have intimate thoughts about our thoughts. We actually start thinking about how we're thinking and if that thinking is right. Or start thinking about why we are the way we are, why we do actions the way we do them. It's, it's a unique thing. And then, of course, when we talk about emotional aspect, somehow we recognize that there's a chemical response with emotions, but there's something much deeper in us that responds emotionally. And, and you and I call it our heart. But we know what it is. It's really our soul. It's, it's us. It's, it's, it's the true me. In fact, going on beyond that, the Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity into a man's heart. We, we, we actually go a step further beyond just having thoughts about our thoughts, but we actually think about the near future. I don't know any animal that thinks about the near future. I mean, animals have a lot of traits that you're just like, wow, that's so cool. Like I said, I've been watching these shows about killer whales with Lucy a lot because she, she wants to be a killer whale. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that one. But anyway, we've been watching a lot of shows on killer whales, and they're incredible animals. I mean, just, just marvelous, wonderful creations of God. But they're not humans. They're not the same as humans. They're wonderful. They do amazing things the way they work as families and everything like that. But they're certainly not humans. I, I don't know that any animal has thoughts about the future and especially thoughts about eternity. Even atheists question life after death. Even the atheist questions that. They don't want to question it. They want to hold to their atheism. But they can't help but think about the grave and what comes after the grave. 
That's something that's unique to us that God has put on our hearts. Of course, um, <clears throat> we have this awareness of the distant future. And then, then there's creativity. We are creative by nature. God has created us to be creators like he is. He's created us in his image. Now, I'm not saying that, that you're a rock star or, or, or uh, an incredibly talented painter or something like that. I mean, obviously, there's exceptional creativity, people. But just think about being able to make believe and pretend play or, or, or think about something in diff- a different way or, or even like, you know, that's one thing that youth ministry has allowed me to be is really creative as I've done it over the years, coming up with an event or an idea or what if we did it this way. It's just so neat to know that the God who created me has put this in me that I too can become a creative person. One of the things I love to do is build stuff at home. I love to just build something with wood and just see it go from this chunk of wood to something cool. You know, it's, and, and stand back and look at it and go, wow, that's really neat. That's, I'm proud of that. That's, that's an exciting thing. And maybe you have something that you like to do like that that, that lets you be creative. That's just something God has put in us that we are creating in, in his image. And, of course, the area of emotions, you and, I, you and I recognize love and we understand love in a deeper way than the animal kingdom. It's not just an emotional response. Not, and it's not just action. God puts, gives us the ability to love like he loves. I, I don't think I've ever understood the, the nature of God more than when my first child was born. I think, I think that was the point at which I understand love and in such a greater way. Because, because when, you're, when you love somebody, it's great to love somebody. But when that child is born, you're just like, I, man, I love this kid. I love, I love this kid with everything. I'm willing to do anything for this child now. And this child hasn't done a thing for me yet. In fact, what's coming after this child is born is, is a whole lot of torment and up late, late nights and, and changing diapers. And, and, and in fact, really what's coming is me serving this kid constantly, but I find myself loving them more and more and more. And anybody who's a parent, I know you can identify with me on that, that, that when that child is born, there's a love that you're given that is just beyond, um, <clears throat> it, it's, a, it's a parenting love that we have, that we identify with God. All right. So we're going to have to get to the creation mandate <laughs> next time because I've, I've gone too long on these things. Um, but let me just end with this as we get it. Notice that God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Dominion, let them subdue and let them have dominion over. Here's the last aspect of the creation that you and I are created in his image, that we were actually created for a co-regency over this earth originally. There's a co-regency given to us, that we were given authority. Now, when you and I hear the words subdue and dominion, we naturally think, because one, we're Americans, and two, we, we live in a sinful world, we think that that's somebody trying to enslave us or, or abuse us or, uh, or have unright authority over us. And that's not what this is saying. God is not saying to man, hey, you can abuse it and destroy it and do whatever you want with it. No. It's saying, here it is for you to rule over. What kind of a creation will you make it? 
What, what will you do with it? Will you abuse it or will you rule over it rightly? And this creation mandate is really about taking care of, not worshiping, taking care of the resources that God has given us versus just destroying resources that God gives us. Listen, as far as environmentalists goes, I think Christians should be some of the greatest environmentalists. I, I really do. And, and again, because there's a balance there. We're not worshiping the environment, but we're recognizing the creation mandate. Does that mean we can no longer hunt? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we, can, we, we can't go have fun out in the, you know, sledding or four-wheeling or all these? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that we should recognize our charge over the creation to care for it and, and look after it. It shouldn't be something that we're just looking at going, oh, the creation doesn't mean anything. No, the Christian recognizes that they've been given a mandate to have dominion over and subdue it. All right. Next week, we'll, we'll actually finish up this with the blessing that God gives, or sorry, the following week, we'll get into the blessing in the seventh day. Apologize again for going a little bit long, but let's go ahead. We will speed up in Genesis, but we're taking this slow. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you that uh, you are a creator and you're a good creator, and everything you create is good. And it, it, it was made right, and it was made the way it was supposed to be. Lord, forgive us for sin. And Lord, we can't wait for you to rescue us from, from, from all this body of sin completely, Lord. We look forward to that day when we stand before you complete and we trust in you. And now as we come to your table in communion, Lord, we pray you'd bless it. If anyone has sin that they need to repent of before coming to the Lord's table, I want to encourage you, repent of that sin. Turn from it. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry for acting out in a rebellious way. I'm ready to turn from it. Lord, we thank you for that bread and that cup. The bread, your body broken for us and the cup representing the new covenant of your blood shed for us on that cross. Bless us now as we go into this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're ready, as, as you're ready I want to encourage you come up and get the elements and then dads, lead your families in in this time.